Hi everyone, welcome to episode 8 of Dreaming Artificially. Today's guest is Adam Small, who is a director, actor and the founder of Wild Child Productions. We'll be chatting to him about his experience of launching a new company and also taking a show to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Dreaming Artificially, the podcast helping artists connect, share and create. Join your hosts, Joanna and Gina, to get advice, hear artists' stories and be inspired. Hi Adam, welcome to Dreaming Artificially, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And would you like to tell us a little bit about your new company, Wild Child Productions? Absolutely. And if you want to tell us why Wild Child and who's the Wild Child in of, this story. Of course, of course. Um, so Wild Child Productions is a new theatre and film production company that I set up uh, last July. Uh, so almost a year ago now. God, that's gone quickly. Well done. Um, Wild Child I set up because... Uh, I graduated as an actor about two years ago from a drama school and found in my first year that uh, I got some really lovely jobs and was having some really wonderful opportunities and uh, things were wonderful but I still had an urge to tell certain stories, specific stories. I was discovering that as an actor there is a whole realm of background business that goes on that doesn't always allow you to sort of be in the driving seat of the things you're up to um, and I'm not a control freak <laughs> but I do like to uh, have an element of holding the reins and heading in a certain direction uh, so I thought time to start telling some stories of my own um, and thus I set up Wild Child thinking alongside my acting work I can start to create work of my own I'd always thought about moving into directing at some point and then I had one night where I just went why don't I just do it now I'll start now I'll find a story um, and I'll tell it uh, so I had that epiphany one night uh, and then about two days later I was having a conversation uh, with my girlfriend we were sat watching the TV chatting away about books we'd read as a kid and I have to admit I've not read many books um, particularly novels I've not read many novels let's say that and one of the novels I had read was a Michael Morpurgo book and we can talk about that afterwards but I suddenly had this moment light bulb full of drama and actors dramatics of sitting up on the sofa and being like oh, that's the story I should tell so I investigated what that might entail and within a couple of weeks I decided set up a company make a commitment to tell my own stories and see where it leads. So I did some investigation work about what that would entail. I built a website, I got a logo, and I ummed and ahed about the name for a while. Um, I wanted something that would, in keep with the anarchy and the fun and the theatricality, of theatre and even film that I love, that uh, slightly heightened sense of reality, but also uh, that would retain some kind of through line of respectability, which for me was children's work, that I wanted to ensure that whatever projects we end up doing, we don't neglect children's work. There's a bit of a prejudice within the industry still 
about adult work and children's work um, and I thought screw that so I wanted something that tread those lines so a word that was playful something that was descriptive of us as a company um, I had a few other options with mellifluous uh, which I think is I don't even know what it means now but that was an option um, and wild child which and I got because it's something I've always been described as by my mum so I guess in answer to the question I'm the wild child. <laughs> <laughs> if I had to guess, that would yeah. be <laughs> yeah, I imagine you have to be a wild child to start this whole adventure with a, with uh, a company. Yeah, absolutely. There is, a, there is an element of just diving in with chaos yes. and going, you know what, this will throw up and I'll do this and we'll, let's go crazy with it. Rather than if you sat down and worked out what it meant logistically, you probably wouldn't do it. And you've touched on it already, but maybe tell us a little bit about the steps that you took to actually logistically bring the company to life. Yeah. Um, I, the first few steps centered around the projects that I had whirring around my head. Um, so I, I just mentioned before that idea of oh, direct this children's show, this, this book I've loved since I was a kid. Um, and as I started to investigate what that would entail, I thought about the Edinburgh Fringe, which I've been to before as an actor and many times as a visitor. Um, and so I started to investigate what it meant to take a show to the Fringe and what that process was. Um, part of the early investigation was to find that actually it's quite expensive. Um, <laughs> and one of the ways I thought about uh, trying to uh, allay that cost was to bring in a second project and see if you could do two projects in Edinburgh with one company um, and so I, my mind started wearing on a second project and before I knew it I was also umming and ahhing about a script I'd been playing around in my head with for a while so over a couple of weeks in the chaos of it all uh, I was playing around with three projects and this company was forming itself during that time um, so I was building the, the groundwork of taking a show and then building the groundwork of starting to write a script and thinking this all needs to come under one umbrella. I often looked at other theatre companies and saw they would announce themselves and they would put themselves out into the world and there would be no work to, to accompany it. So I thought I won't tell anyone, I'll keep it all under wraps and then in one fell swoop, when it all comes together, I'll announce the projects. Um, so I started writing the script over the coming months. I started forming um, promotional packs and so on for the shows that I was um, thinking about taking to Edinburgh. And I started to, I wrote a, like a, a business statement, like a mission report of what we were going to try to achieve. And like I said, built a website, got a logo and established a company to try to fake it till I make it and make it seem like this was already fully fledged. It has been in the pipeline for a really long time and, um, uh, and it would infuse itself through that. I also had a bit of money which I got from a, uh, when I graduated at Mountview, I won this prize and they really lovely gave me a, a lump sum of money which I used to sort of start this project. I'd had it saved and I was like, what better way to use that money than creatively? Which is necessary part that early days needs some funding to inject it. And is Wild Child Productions just you at the moment, or you have it's 
um, purely a solo venture at the moment. It is. That feels that feels like somewhat to um, missell other people's contributions obviously, to the current yeah, project. You have uh, but yes, alongside you, but, but it's your yes. it's just your project. Yeah. It is. It is. Which I often, if you read any of the things on the website, I often pluralise it. I, I'm not sure if that's to convince myself that I'm safer. But like we at Wildchild Productions, oh, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a whole team here. I'm not on my own. You never yeah. know how it's going to develop. You know. Exactly. Exactly. So and I think it instills confidence. It as, really does. As yeah. projects started to come together, I swear it only happened because one person thought they might trust it because another person must be involved and that person must be involved and that's yeah. good. So that and suddenly yeah. it starts to build it's and build. It's such a trust thing, isn't it? Yeah. People are so much more willing to trust if they think it's a bigger yeah, absolutely. Uh, corporation. I think. Yeah. Which is why it takes. It's worth putting the energy into to launch a company with depth, with that sort of, this is our mission, these are our projects. Because otherwise, there are so many companies popping up here, there and everywhere. If it seems like you're active and things are bubbling away, people are more likely to start to chip in. But you are active. It's not that it seems that you're active. Yes, I guess so, yeah. That makes a difference, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I often have people say to me, like you do things if you have an idea in your head you do it and that's true of this from the second it started I went oh I'll do it and so started the next day rather than that element of oh I'll set up a theatre company and two weeks later I haven't really done anything it was a cool project and very creatively fun even in those early days when I didn't know where it was heading mm-hmm. it was fun. yeah I think that's so what you said about you know you think of something and you do it was it you I was talking to, Gina? I was having this conversation with someone, I can't remember who it was with, and we were talking about how when you work in the arts, you don't get handed a job. You have to make those jobs mm-hmm. happen yourself. Yeah. Yes. And I think that to succeed as an artist, you have to have that mentality of, yeah, yeah okay, I want this to happen, therefore it's going to. Absolutely. So, yeah. I think this year that was the um, every BAFTA um, comedy performance nominee was a lead in their own comedy series. It was something they had written and performed in themselves. And that's sort of indicative of the industry currently. Like you say, you've got to make it and make it for yourself. If it's not coming, make it yourself. You've mentioned already so many things about how you started it. You make it sound so easy and so like fun. Um, were there any concerns that you had? Either financial concerns, either artistic concerns in terms of what the content is going to be yeah. or anything that kind of kept you back. Yeah, there are lots of concerns, a lot of the time, but I'm a big fan of feel the fear and do it anyway. And at each step, assessing what the risk is, rather than letting the fact that there is a concern stop anything from flowing. There is always a concern with anything worth doing, otherwise we'd all just stay in bubble wrap and live in our houses and never leave. so there are lots of concerns all the time, even now as we're rehearsing the show. Is it going to come together? Is that going to work? Is that person going to come that we need to come? Is that money going to fall into place? Will the ticket sell? But there comes a point where all that stuff is nonsense. Is it fueling me? Am I going to bankrupt myself? No. So that's good. As long as I'm not putting myself in any real financial danger or that kind of thing, that's wonderful. But. There are lots of concerns, and I think each step it's assessing whether that concern needs more attention and therefore it needs avoiding. Uh, we had a project that we had to can back in February because there was, we were running out of time to get it together. We had a slot with the Actors Centre that was really exciting, but the research that needed to go into the project 
was happening too slowly. And the concern was, I don't think we're going to have enough time. And it got to a point where we did have to pull it because the concern started to gather so much weight that actually assessing that concern and that risk was going, it's too risky. It's not worth it. Let's hold back. Let's go another time. And that's that. Whereas the concern early on of being like, oh, what if I don't get the rights? Or what if that happens? That's small. Take the risk and sort of see what happens. So you've touched a little bit on your current project, um, Kenske's Kingdom. Yeah. Would you like to tell us a little bit about it? You're about to take it to Edinburgh Fringe. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, so, yes, our big first project, our debut for Wild Child is Michael Morpurgo's Kenske's Kingdom. Uh, which is a children's adventure novel that he wrote in 1999, um, which is his second best-selling book, second to War Horse. Uh, it's a wonderful story of a young boy uh, in the 80s whose parents are made redundant as the brickworks that they work at shuts down, and they decide to sell everything they own and go sailing around the world, um, which they do. They learn to sail, they set off, uh, and they have these wonderful adventures, and then one night... Um, Michael is washed overboard um, and ends up, he wakes up on an island in the middle of the Pacific completely alone. At least he thinks he's alone until he discovers there is one other inhabitant, an elderly Japanese man called Kensuke, uh, who has been there since the end of the Second World War. Uh, and the two of them form quite an unlikely friendship, but it's definitely not an easy route to get there. Uh, and while he's on the island, there's these big orangutans and there's Stella the dog, which is the dog that goes around the world with them. Um, and all these sort of wonderful, challenging, difficult things happen. Uh, and it gets very exciting. And you're using puppets, as we yes. say. Yes, um, we're currently being overlooked by giant orangutans. Yeah, you guys, yeah. Are, you listeners can't see, but we're currently surrounded by orangutans and I think Kensky is yeah. watching us yeah. over chair. Yeah, and elephants and dogs. <laughs> and <laughs> it's, it's quite otherworldly. <laughs> <laughs> it's just to get into the vibe, you know? Yes, yeah. Tell us a little bit more about the production in terms of which venue you're going to be yeah. in, when, which days you're going to cover, and yeah. how we can book tickets if we want to oh. come. <laughs> um, so we are part of the Pleasant at Edinburgh Fringe. So uh, for anybody that doesn't know, the Edinburgh Fringe is completely open to anybody. Anybody can take a show up there. Um, but there are some venues there which create a curated programme and they bring together lots of different companies and have become known venues in Edinburgh and they create uh, create a programme that balances and has comedy, live music, theatre, dance and different things. Uh, Pleasance is one of those main venue hubs um, and they have different sections but their main hub venue is Pleasance Courtyard and we are in a venue there called Pleasance 2. We're at 12.30 every day. The show is 75 minutes, um, aimed at children seven and up and their wonderful families. Who It's a family show. Anyone can come and enjoy it. Um, uh, and tickets range from six to £11 uh, and can be purchased anywhere on the Edinburgh Fringe website or Pleasance. Cheeky plug. Uh, but yes, it's a, it's a show with five cast members uh, who are actual actors, and then uh, we have puppets. We have a voiceover from Jenny Agatha, who was in Call the Midwife recently, but the Railway Children and Equus, and um, lots and lots of things in her wonderful career. Um, and it was adapted by a writer called Stuart Patterson, 
initially uh, he was a Scottish he is a Scottish writer uh, and he's adapted it from Mulpurgo's novel and we are now taking it to new theatrical heights <laughs> Can you tell us a bit more about uh, getting the rights for the show? Yes um, I still feel a bit blindsided by getting the rights I think I was naively confident um, when I initially thought it through I as I said, I was on the sofa, I had this moment of inspiration and I thought, I'll do this show. So the next thing I did was in work the next day and I googled uh, adaptations of it, found this adaptation by Stuart um, and went to Samuel French, who was open at the time, and grabbed a play script a version. In the front it says, who holds the rights? Um, so I contacted them that afternoon um, and asked if the rights were available. I didn't ask at that point for them. I just sussed it out because I thought before I investigate and ask for them to give it to me, I need to have a solid pitch. Um, they came back a couple of days later and said, yes, the rights are available. Um, I had already put in that I might take it to Edinburgh Fringe or was thinking about it. And they said that they would be open to that. Uh, so I went away then and I did all the solid background work. And then I wrote the most solid pitch that I could that encapsulated why I wanted to do the project, how I wanted to do the project, and why I, it would be a good idea for them to get behind it. Um, and I did. They moulded it over for a week. They got back to me and said, we're having a think. And then they came back and said yes. Um, which feels somewhat... Uh, without a hitch it sort of went through quite quietly and I think that was the blag of faking it I didn't go oh I'm a new director and oh, this is a new company and it's fine if you don't and that thing. I just pitched confidently and said I love this book it's absolutely fantastic always have this is what I would love to do with it don't you think that would be wonderful talking about the the festival oh. putting it put it there so on um, yeah putting it so on Edinburgh's festival can be costly in terms mm -hmm. of money in terms of time mm -hmm. energy mental work yeah. all these things what is it that you think you're gonna get out of it is it it's success mm -hmm. is it contacts is it what, what do you think how do you think it's gonna help i almost want to separate up my answer into the reasons i'm going to edinburgh are to establish wild child to put on a show that i believe has worth and is worth seeing um, and to learn. If that garners from that point more work for me as a director, more work for the company, a further life for the show, incredible. They are all things that I am working to ensure that are ready and prepped. If anybody wants to take the show on further, we're thinking about a possible future life for it, a tour next year, that kind of thing. We have done all that work, ready to go. But I'm not putting a weight on Edinburgh to deliver that because then it, it could disappoint. And there's far too many, too, too many wonderful things coming from this project already to, to, to end it disappointed. So for me, I would like to get to the end of Edinburgh this year and have learnt a lot. If that's gone really positively, that would be much easier <laughs> to digest than if it's gone negatively. But 
the weight of Edinburgh for me sits on discovering what my process is as a director, as a producer, what it means to put on a show, what it means to uh, work with a press representative, what it means to work with a venue, how to market, all those things. And I, that can't fail because I can only learn from that. But <laughs> uh, it would be naive to ignore all the other side of putting on a show. Um, the show is quite costly. Um, we decided to go big or go home. And uh, in order for Wild Child to have a sustained life, we need to make some of that back. Um, we have future projects in the pipeline which can't quite announce, but are, are, are also there. And so there needs to be money in place for those. And there also needs to be money in place to ride the wave of Edinburgh. If Edinburgh does create buzz and so on, and we don't have any money to work with that buzz, then it's not been a, a very sound production decision. Um, so that's when I have to put the producer head on and go, how do we do that? And that's about investing money in wise places, doing the research in where marketing money is best spent, what kind of adverts to place. Um, there is a lot of stuff around Edinburgh and not all of it is worth doing. And having, I think this is my fifth year, I think, going up to Edinburgh. And my partner is from Edinburgh and has lived there her entire life. And I know that world now better than I would have done a couple of years ago. And I know it more than I did last August. There's so much work, there's so much information from the Fringe Society about taking a show to Edinburgh that you can use it and hopefully and in, put a bit of insurance in place to not for it not to be an awful failure. And it's going well so far. We've got lots of press interest and lots of audience interest and ticket sales are going well. So it just optimism is how I'm going there. But we'll see what happens. So for anyone that's thinking um, about putting or taking a show to Edinburgh, is that mm. possibly the best advice you can give to just immerse yourself in that world? Go up and experience a festival as an audience member first? Yeah. yeah. I think so, because it, it's unlike anywhere else. In, and that's the best thing about it. Um, if somebody offered me a flyer for a show in London, I would probably look down at them with disdain and take it with a cold heart and <laughs> never go. But in Edinburgh, that's the vibe. Everybody's handing out flyers all the time. People are there just to see shows, to find something new. And until you have been and witnessed it, it it's impossible to know how that works. Um, that doesn't mean you have to have been in a show or taken a show before. I think you just need to go and experience it for a few days. Um, and I would say the run-up time for Edinburgh is unlike any other show in terms of the festival happens every August, but venues start programming from the previous December and you need to have everything already in place, really, to ready to go for the December so that you know you're committed and you can go right in. Mm -hmm. So that means I think you have to have at least the previous Edinburgh in advance to go. So I went last year with this project already in mind, and it's taken a year to get it into place. So if anybody is taking a show to Edinburgh or thinking about it, I'd say do it 100%. Go up first, experience it, decide why you want to go, and then there's loads and loads and loads and loads of information about how to take it. Books and PDFs and podcasts galore about actually how to do it. So learn afterwards, just make the decision by going. Any, any 
news or upcoming projects that you can announce? Oh. Maybe you want to share them with us? Yes, so one of our other projects that we have going on at the minute is the short film I mentioned before, the one I was writing as, as our initial project, uh, the, and that's called Ten. It's about our relationship with grief. It's about a young couple, Sam and Kate. Sam has died, and Kate is partaking in a new technology which allows her to have ten more minutes with Sam, um, about 18 months after his death. It's kind of Black Mirror-esque in that sense. Um, and this short film is about that 10 minutes. And it came about through, oddly through Calendar Girls. Have you ever seen the film Calendar Girls? There's a moment in that where Julie Walters um, is the widow of a man who has died from cancer. And she's receiving all these letters uh, of people who have been through the same thing. And she's accused of her best friend, by her best friend of behaving like a saint. And she says something like, um, I'm not a saint because I'd give every penny of this calendar for just five more minutes with him. And it got me thinking at the time of being like, oh, what is that? I, I've heard that a lot. I've, you know, I lost a grandparent very young and I've heard my mum talk about that, of what she would do for just another hour with her mum. And I think that, that's a, a real human instinct is to want just more time. But actually in real terms, what is that like? to be presented with somebody who you have already grieved, or you are in the process of grieving, to be presented with them again, do you have to re-grieve them? Can you honestly have, find the strength to say goodbye to somebody knowing they're about to go forever, having already experienced what that pain is? And also bringing in other elements of, what if you found out something after they've died that you didn't know before. We do this thing as humans as well, where we kind of idolize people that have died and we start to forget anything they ever did wrong and we put them up on a pedestal and can they still stand on that pedestal after we meet them again? So it's a, an exploration of that and what it means to grieve and sort of how technology is edging ever closer to what is inevitable about our humanity is that we're going to die. So Adam, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, do you want to finish off by telling us where people can go if they'd like to find out more about you and Wild Child Productions? Yes, um, you can go to our website, which is www.wildchildproductions.co.uk. We are on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Um, the easiest way to find us is probably Twitter and Instagram at wildchild underscore UK. Um, or you can find us at the Edinburgh Fringe this summer in Pleasance 2 at 12.30 every single day with Michael Morpurgo's Kensuke's Kingdom. And we will put up the links to all of those things um, on the show notes page as well. Thank you. Great. Um, thank, thank you so, so much. much. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Dreaming Artificially. Join our Facebook group at Artificial Dreams Creative Collaboration. That's A-R-T-Y... F-I-C-I-A-L or visit our website at artificialdreams.org